45 years ago, I entered into the world as a little man. So manly was I that God put M-A-N in my last name. Anybody got that? Uh, September 8, 1976, Ben Mandrell came bursting onto the scene, feet first like a jungle cat prouncing upon its prey. I was born a boy, and that is not the same thing as being born a girl. God says in Scripture that he loves boys and girls just the same, but he built us entirely differently. So the saying is controversial, but, but deeply biblical, that a man is not a woman, and a woman is not a man, and the enemy is at work to blur the lines. And he will never be able to override the creation ordinance of Almighty God. Genesis 5 declares, on the day that God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, and it says it right there, as males and as females. And when they were created, he blessed them and he called them mankind. So men and women are not the same creatures. We don't think the same. We don't act the same. We don't load the dishwasher the same. Have you noticed that? More fights in my house about the loading of dishwasher than any other thing. We don't communicate on the same level. We're not the same kind of creature. And the best marriages on earth are not a result of a man of God and a woman of God uh, being the same, but a man of God and a woman of God embracing their differences. So interactive exercise. Raise your hand if you are not a woman. Okay, a few of you are not participating. This is a bad time for that. All right. Those of you that raise your hands, I want you to sit up, perk up, and listen up. I think Scripture has a lot to say to us as men, and that's a joke. All of us should be paying attention to this message. So in Scripture, 1 Samuel 14, we find this remarkable story. King Saul is on his throne. He came to power at the age of 30. He would remain in power for 42 years. He would be a grave disappointment unto God. With success, he became a functional atheist. Uh, refusing to heed God's commands or seek out God's leadership over his life. And for this reason, God would reject Saul. The silver lining in Saul's cloud, though, was that he had a son named Jonathan that was nothing like him. Jonathan fell far from the tree of Saul. He would grow to be a man of great faith, despite having a total wimp of a father. Now, some of you grew up with a total wimp of a father. I know that's true in a room this size. Some of you grew up with a father that you said, and you continue to say, I want to be something other than him. Uh, he, uh, Saul was outwardly solid, inwardly frail. He was outwardly Doberman, inwardly Dachshund. And some of you grew up with a father like that, that had an exterior that was solid, but on the inside he was not solid. And in this passage, you're going to see that Jonathan resolved that he, if he would do anything in his life, he, would just, he resolved that he would not be like his dad. Now, may I acknowledge how tragic that would be if one of your children right now were plotting a course like that. Or one of my sons says, who would say, man, when you talk about something that would just crush me by the weight of the words, if I would overhear one of my sons saying to a friend, I don't know what I'm gonna be when I grow up, but I know one thing, I don't wanna be anything like my dad. Jonathan said that. 1 Samuel 14, the young man goes further with God than his father ever did, and in doing so, uh, as a warrior, shows us what it's like to have faith in God. So men, let me just ask you, are there days when you feel dead inside? I mean, be honest, you just feel kind of empty and dead inside, you feel depressed or disillusioned or bored with life? Uh, if that's you, and I believe we all go through seasons like that, 
Let the word of God revive you today. This is an incredible passage. So 1 Samuel 13, verse 23, let's get into the action. Now, a Philistine garrison took control of the pass at Michmash. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, notice this, he did not tell his dad. The Bible doesn't include anything accidentally. So first of all, who were the Philistines? If you're new to the Bible, maybe you're brand new to the church, brand new to the Bible, it's okay. The Philistines were the arch enemies of ancient Israel. Goliath, who fought David, maybe you've heard of the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. And one day, Jonathan says to his servant, why don't you and I go and jump into a hornet's nest and see if we can't come out alive. Let's try something daring and brave and risky for God. And notice the word says, Jonathan did not tell his father. Now we have to wonder, why, why wouldn't you tell your father something? Now think back to your 17-year-old self. Why would you not tell your dad something? I think the answer is obvious, because it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. He knew his father would not approve of this behavior. He, Jonathan knew that his dad did not have faith. His father never demonstrated any interest in doing something of great faith. And so Jonathan has more bravery in the bones of his hand than Saul has in his whole body. And so he does not ask his dad for a green light. He just goes for the gold with God, a secret mission that he felt called to attempt. Verse four is important. The writer gives us some geography to describe how dangerous this mission was. It says in verses four and five, there, was a sharp, there were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison, and they had names. Now, now, why in the world would this information be included in the story? It, it's, it's important for you to notice the geography was basically described so that you could see that this was a kamikaze suicide mission. On paper, this was never going to work. In fact, uh, I found this artistic re rendering that shows a little bit of what they were up against. Not only were they having to get to a large crowd of giant warriors and defeat them, there was no way to do it as... Uh, with the element of surprise, which was your greatest weapon. And so, to make matters worse, look what Jonathan says in verse 6. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, his armor bearer, well, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You see why this guy is a model for us? He's not afraid to step out and lead out. Uh, so strong is his faith in God and so confident is God and his ability for God to pull him through that he puts skin in the game, all of his skin in the game. And he says, perhaps the Lord will work in our behalf. Uh, what a confession of confidence. Uh, when, when I was um, in 2013, uh, God called our, our church, uh, called our family to resign a wonderful church in West Tennessee where we were pastoring, a large, established, big-budget church. We resigned the church and moved a 1,000 miles west to start a church from scratch. And if you want to get really depressed and fearful, just Google statistics of church plant success. Uh, it's like looking on WebMD to diagnose the flu. It's bad. Don't ever do that. And so when we were stepping out to do this, I was, I was inwardly terrified. And I thought, what if it doesn't work? What if I fail? What if I lead my family out there and this whole thing, it never takes off, it never works. 
But I, I felt in my heart, like even from this passage, perhaps the Lord will save us. The battle belongs to the Lord. We just sung, we just sung it. How are we ever going to try anything that's daring or brave or risky if we don't count on God being the one that's going to part the waters when we get there? Will we always play it safe and in doing so begin to become so bored with our lives that we become disillusioned and depressed around everyone around us? When is the last time you did anything that was sure to fail without the help of God? We see these examples in Scripture, and we preach them, and we teach them in Sunday school, but we're so poor in living them. So my question is, where are the Jonathans in the church of Jesus? And as I said last night, are we in a full-blown man crisis? Are men leading out? Uh, are, are people looking at us and seeing that, that God has built us for adventure, God has built us for risk, and we're out there um, risking it all for God in some ways? Um, when I was um, years ago walking through a forest uh, on a walk with my, my sons, I had a, a six-year-old son. My, 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 my son, Miles, was six years old at that time. And we were, we were walking through the forest. It was actually our whole family. And he picked up this stick. And it was like, just imagine a Y-shaped stick. And he had the kind of, kind of almost like a slingshot. And he, he had the stick, and he, and he carried it with him the whole time. And there was nothing very, I didn't know, special about the stick. I just wondered why he was carrying it. We got into the car. He still had the stick. We got home. He still had the stick. Like, what is he doing with the stick? I mean, what is, what is the magic of the stick? Well, I look out in the backyard, and he has turned the Y to the side, grabbed it like a ruinous galactic gun, and he is ruining people in the backyard in his imagination. He, he took an ordinary piece, a chunk of a tree, and turned it into a, a military weapon. What's wrong with him? There's nothing wrong with him. You don't have to train a boy to do that. Young men have in their hearts a desire for adventure. It's just that the world squeezes it out of us. In the church, we need to be calling men to take risks for God, to be brave for God, to lead out, to take steps of faith. This is what Scripture has called us to do. Now, I want to be forthright, and I try to be real in all my preaching, and I tried to do that last night. Confession is in order. Even though the word man is woven into my last name, I have never killed anything with a rifle. Uh, I ran over a squirrel last year and felt terrible about it. I've never uh, fought in a military battle and returned home a hero. I've never scaled the north face of a mountain, nor have I reeled in a 40-pound fish. I've never done any of the stuff that culture would say are required to be masculine. But thanks be to God that the Bible that I read, that you read, uh, is not, says that I'm not measured by the number of deadheads in my house or a history with 100 women or a uniform adorned with golden distinctions. What God wants from me and what God wants from every man is a heart that's ready to step out in faith and lead. That's what God wants from us, a heart that's ready to step out in faith and lead, a desire to prove him strong in my life. I have a desire to prove him strong in my life. I want my life to be the testimony of what God can do through an ordinary person. And in order to do that, I've got to get comfortable with a certain level of risk that I'm not only going to take one time, but continue to take throughout steps of my life. And the crazy thing about the God that I serve and the God that you serve is every time I think I've taken the last step of faith that God can finally leave me alone, as soon as I get comfortable, he's got me right outside the boat again. 
This is the way God grows us men, is that he calls us to take a step of faith, and once we get comfortable, guess what? He calls us to take another one. It never stops until we enter into the kingdom. And the Bible says in verse 7 that Jonathan had a heart like that. He wanted to take a step out, but he was not the only man on the trip that day. Look what the loyal servant says in verse, chapter 14, verse 7. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. Go ahead. I am completely with you. So not just one, but two men are willing to walk by faith and not by sight. And, and so the question is, are you willing to walk by faith and not by sight? Or do you think that being a spiritual leader means being a nice guy? You know, I know it was a somewhat controversial book, but the book Wild at Heart, uh, if you've ever read that book, I think it's worth reading. John Eldridge has some things to say about masculinity I think are interesting. Here's one of the quotes from that book I just want to read. Christianity as it currently exists has done damage to masculinity. When all is said and done, I think most men in the church believe that God put them on earth to be a good boy. The problem with men, we are told, is that they don't know how to keep their promises or be spiritual leaders, talk to their wives, or raise their children. But if they will try real hard, they can reach the lofty summit of becoming a nice guy. That's what we hold up as models of Christian maturity, really nice guys. What is he saying there? He's not saying that good manners and morals are unimportant. He's saying that being nice is not the full measure of manhood. A man must be willing to walk out in front of his family to make some bold moves and decisions once in a while. That's what it means to be a man, is to lead and make some bold moves once in a while. And what Jonathan and his friend were doing was not macho man self-confident stupidity. These, these men were not willing to jump off a cliff to, to impress a pack of ladies. They are choosing to put all their chips in the table and to gamble on God. Perhaps the Lord will do something on our behalf. And once Jonathan has the green light from his friend, he says this. So let's do this. Verse 8. All right, Jonathan replied, we'll cross over to the men and let them see us. Now, this is my favorite part of the story. You have to wonder what the armor bearer is thinking at this point. Okay, I was okay with two on 20. I'm even okay scaling the wall of doom to get to them. But you want to call and make reservations. You want them to know that we're coming. And Jonathan says, exactly. Let's stack the deck in their favor so that when, when word gets out that we won, people will only be able to attribute to the glory of God. It will only be because of God that it worked. It, we won't get any of the glory. It will be all God's glory. And you have to admit, this was some kind of crazy experiment. And Jonathan says, read, read verses 9 through 12, and we'll finish up. He says, if, if they say, wait until we reach you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. And they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And after they let themselves be seen, sorry, my scripture just dropped off on me and pulled it back up. They let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes they are hiding in. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on, and we'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> this is Old Testament trash talk, by the way. And in and, and one translation says, come on up, and we'll teach you a thing. One translation says, come on up, we'll teach you a thing or two, which I think is really, really what it's saying. 
Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. And you get the point. The contrast of the two groups of men is so stark. One had the sin of self-confidence. They had numbers, power, weapons. But the other side had something that, they, that, they, that the world does not know the power of, the power of God's anointing, the power of God's blessing. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the story ends in verses 12 through 15. I'm not going to read all the scripture, but Jonathan and his armor bearer go up and claim the land, and they're victorious because God is on their side. I want to be a Jonathan. Don't you want to be a Jonathan? At the end of your life, don't you want there to be stories to be told of some bold moves you made and God came through in the clutch? Don't you want there to be some stories that you were up against the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was closing in and you were sure it was over and God parted the waters? If you never take any risks for God, you'll never have a story like that and you're not really living your life. So here's takeaways from the text, okay? Three things that I think this text says to us as men. Let me try to apply this now. Number one, I believe that every man has a Jonathan spirit waiting to be released. It's just waiting to be released. Men feel most alive when they're moving toward the front lines of conflict. They're, they're taking ground. They're moving toward the battle. So let me explain something about men and women that someone shared with me once that I think is profound. Men are emotionally modest, physically immodest creatures. And what that means is uh, most men in this room would rather take off their shirt for the remainder of the conference than to share things that their father said to them when they were a little kid. Men are physically immodest. The way I say that is men don't buy swimsuit cover-ups. They should. Some of us, when we get out of the pool, should cover up. We don't care. We don't care if people see the problems areas on our bodies, but we do care if people see the problem areas in our souls. Women, this is what I said, they're built differently, generally speaking. Flip that upside down and you have the woman. Women, generally speaking, are remarkably free creatures when it comes to self-disclosure. They are emotionally immodest, physically modest. And what that means is a woman will unveil emotionally, letting other people see her scars much easier than she will show problem areas on her body. And, and we know this to be true. You put women in small group, and first session, they're getting right down to the real problems in their marriage. You put men in small group, first session, we've covered sports. It's just something about us that we aren't willing to be real until we're around people that we really trust. And some of us aren't even willing to be real then. A man has to be in the presence of armor bearers before he will open up. A man will not expose his weaknesses to a stranger because it defies his warrior heart. Superman would not show kryptonite to his enemies. And in the same way, men think in their heads, and this is broken, if I become vulnerable, then I make myself vulnerable and I don't want to be vulnerable. 
A biblical counselor shared with me the definition of vulnerability that makes the most sense to me. Vulnerability is when you share enough information with someone that they could hurt you with it. There's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is being honest. Vulnerability is being frighteningly honest. So it's possible that someone in this room is a victim of, victim of some kind of abuse. It's highly possible. Uh, it's possible in this room that some of you have struggled your whole life with pornography. Uh, in this room, with this, the statistics I'm reading, I, I would guess that there are many of you in this room that have struggled with pornography. For you to open up with another man about that is both powerful and terrifying. But I believe, and this is why I love men's conferences, if we can get men sharing vulnerably with one another, there is tremendous power in it. There's a Jonathan spirit that comes out. You know, the great philosopher C.S. Lewis said it better than I. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, because to love is to be vulnerable. That is powerful. Men, we've got to give God access to the deepest parts of us, and we've got to give other people access to deepest parts of us. We've got to stop playing games and invite Christ in the deepest core of our lives. Number two, I think this story teaches us that every man does need a loyal companion to encourage him. When I um, felt called to lead our family uh, to become church planners, to resign the church that we loved that was like family, and to step out and start a church from scratch, to move to a state we had never spent any time in, when I felt called to do that, I wish I had the strength of Abraham, who, according to what I read in the Bible, said to Sarah, pack your bags, you'll like it there. I couldn't say that to my wife. My wife is a strong woman. I needed her to say to me, I am with you heart and soul. I am with you completely. If you're married, I can tell you this. If your marriage isn't right, nothing's right. You, you can't take bold risks for God alone. If you're unmarried, you must take someone with you. Every person needs an emotional support system. You need, you need a band of brothers. Nobody can do these kinds of things alone. Jonathan didn't try it alone, neither should you. And here's what I've realized. Um, I had a friend who was in a seminary class. He told me this story, and it's always stuck with me. It was his first seminary class with this professor, and he was brand, brand new married. He introduced himself and said that I just, he said, I just got married a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm in my first class in seminary. He was walking out of seminary, and this professor walked up to him on the edge of class, grabbed him by the arm, and said, son, I just have one thing to say to you. Marriage is fragile every day. And he let go of his arm, and he walked away. Marriage is fragile every day. 
And one of the things that the Lord has taught me in being a spiritual leader is that it is vital for me to build the strength of my marriage every day. It's not just something we do on a vacation or a trip. If we're going to be taking risks for God and living the glory of God, we've got to have a strong marriage every day. So do you have someone in your corner? Are you ready to take a risk for God? So here are three questions I'd put before you just to think about, and then we'll end. Number one, when is the last time you did something that was destined to fail without the help of God? In other words, when is the last time you flexed the faith muscle? Like every muscle, if it's not used, it dies. If your faith is dying, it's probably your fault. Are you flexing the faith muscle? Number two, are you leading your children to walk in faith? If God, this is, I think this is maybe the most convicting question for those of you who are dads. If God calls your kids to do something crazy for him, for them, for them would they say to themselves, hey, this is just, I'm just doing what my dad did. I'm just living the way my dad lived. Let me tell you where this culture has gone, uh, how it's affected our homes. Just a, few, just a few generations ago, before the information age erupted, the vast majority of men worked with their hands in the fields. Young boys grew up alongside their dads. They knew their dad's smell and their dad's walk and his gait. They were in the dirt together, and they, they learned their father's ways. When the agrarian age gave way to technology, men started climbing into their cars and leaving home for work. And suddenly, boys were being raised by their mothers. And the new way of life has put sons, I believe, at a severe disadvantage. Every boy needs a strong man in his life. And boys are getting far less time with their fathers. If there is a joy that has come from COVID, I think it has taken a lot of us men home more. But all of us need to have a strong relationship and connection with, with, a, with a man. Robert Lewis, a man who wrote the book Raising a Modern Day Night, which is a great book for dads raising a modern-day knight. He looked back on his childhood. He wrote these words about his dad. Listen to this. My dad worked hard. He provided for our family materially. We were a solid middle-class family, and I do have a number of pleasant memories from my boyhood. But when my dad walked through the door at the end of the long day, his personal influence began to fade. He became the invisible dad. We rarely played together. In fact, I can't remember any time we threw the ball or wrestled together. I missed the fun side of him. He never told me I love you. I never prayed with him or talked with him about spiritual things. I never knew what he believed. And this last line, I think, is the most powerful. His inner world was a mystery to me. We need for our kids to have access to our inner world. Are you leading your kids to walk by faith? Question number three, have you given your life to God? Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that our lives are what? Living sacrifices. It's not about what you want for your life or what you imagine for your life. Proverbs says this, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. If you've really given your life fully to God, then you have given God a blank check of your life and said, write what you will. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want to do. I'll follow you all the way to the end. In what ways are you holding back from giving your full life to God. Now let me say a word of prayer and then we're gonna close with something. God, I, I know that there's something inside this message for everybody in this room. There's something here. 
And Lord, I know inside our hearts we want to be bold and we want to be brave and we want to be strong. And yet, Lord, we, we're fearful that if we step out and take a risk or do something that requires great faith, that we'll look back and there's nobody with us. We will have left our wives behind, our families behind, our friends behind. Lord, that we're going to be out there all alone. And yet, Lord, like Jonathan, we want to have moments that we can look back on where we stepped out in faith and did something bold that, con that defied conventional wisdom, that didn't make sense on paper, and yet you called us to do it, and we did it, we followed, we, we obeyed. God, we want to live lives of adventure, not boredom. We want to live lives of faith, not fear. And we know, Lord, that perfect love casts out all fear. And so, Lord, I pray for that man in this room today that's been pondering, considering, and thinking about what this next bold move might mean for him or his family. Lord, that you'd give him faith to believe that you are not going to leave him and you're not going to walk away from him or forsake him. God, help us to be spiritual leaders at home. Help us to be spiritual leaders in the church. Help us to be spiritual leaders in our community, which means we walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, I pray for all those brothers in this room who are terrified of being vulnerable. God, that you would give them freedom to find a safe person or two and begin to unpack what's really going on in their inner lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we dismiss, I want you to turn right now to someone next to you and share one sentence from this sermon that spoke to you. Go. All right, take another minute. Make sure both, both sides share. Brothers, I think one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament is James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another and then you will be healed. Uh, I think it's, there's a lot of power in confession of struggle. 
makes me feel not alone. I'm not the only person in this room that struggles with that. There's power in that. So I asked Travis if we could take, we still have some time here, just a few minutes, if, if someone in this room would be willing to be vulnerable, say, hey, here's, here's something from the message today really I'm struggling with, could use your prayers, or something I learned that challenged me today. Uh, who would be the first? Travis has the microphone. If you wouldn't mind, we're going to float the microphone so everybody can hear you over here. See how fast Travis can run. And he's running away from you. Say, say your name too, by the way. Andy Bromel. Um, so the thing that stuck out was when you're talking about Jonathan and um, the armor bearer, and you said, and it's not in the verse, but you said it this way, that Jonathan essentially was stacking the deck against himself to say, when we do, when we do succeed, it'll be for the glory of the God. And the question that I had for myself is, what areas of my life am I mitigating risk, protecting myself, right. and thus limiting God's glory for the victory that he achieved? It's a really good question. And what areas of my life am I mitigating risk to protect myself? You think that if you apply that to that passage, Jonathan would have said, hey guys, I've crunched the numbers. This is a no-go. <laughs> and in what areas am I unwilling to step out because the numbers are against me? Uh, that's, that's where faith has to step in. It's good. Somebody else. Right here. Yeah, let's keep going from across the room for Travis. That's great. Like tennis. Uh, this is more about yesterday's session. Um, I attended um, one of the sessions, the breakout sessions that Eric Trout led. And he said something that just stuck with me, which is, he said, man, don't coast. You know, because when you coast, that's when you leave yourself open to just relaxing a lot. And then sin creeps in. And so... Last night, I confessed a lot of stuff to my wife. So I came home, she's like, how was it? And then I kind of did a review, and then I started sensing the spirit tell me, tell her what you really need to <laughs> tell her. And that's when I just kind of said, listen, I, got, I have to apologize. I've been coasting. That's really good. And so uh, we talked about other things and everything, but uh, we really came to a good resolution or conclusion, you know, to the evening after, after just a lot of confession and talking and we prayed together, even though she said, I'm going to probably fall asleep while you pray, <laughs> but just keep praying. And I said, okay. And so anyway, I, I, I followed through to what Eric was really challenging good. us to, and I'll tell you, it was very freeing. And I think that's just one of many that I'm going to get coast. from this conference. Yep. Uh, let me make a comment on that while Travis is moving back. I heard a pastor tell a story once about how he, he had done something really special and romantic for his wife on Friday night. And on Monday, she had all kinds of issues with him, and she was just, you know, nitpicking and finding all these things wrong with him. And, and he said to her, hey, look, I just planned this great event for us Friday night. Like, what is wrong with you? And he said, and I didn't realize it, that all points expire at midnight. <laughs> Did you guys know that? Any points you score with your wife expire at midnight. No one told me that in premarital counseling. And that's a big piece of what I, what I mean by marriage is fragile every day. We think we can live off some great memory we created a week ago, and every day it requires, uh, you know, coasting is so natural. It's our default mode as men, I think, in the back. Hi, uh, my name is Sergio, and uh, I just wanted to share that. I think for me, uh, I really like, Ben, what you said about um, men spending time with their children, with their sons, and just being very intentional about that. Um, 
you know, just discipling to them, ministering to them. And um, I had a, a father who, like, I like also what you said about just knowing their gait, knowing their walk, knowing their how they smell, all that stuff. And I remember my dad was my hero, and he had a lot of great attributes that would, of, a, of a great leader, but he was not intentional about spending that time with me. Hmm. And um, so I witnessed from afar the things that he was able to do and accomplish, and I, but he never passed those things on to me. And so I feel like, to a certain degree, that's made me kind of closed off. I mean, I have two girls, but uh, you know, just a little closed off. And um, I just want to be really intentional about it. And I, I feel like I have been much more intentional about really spending that time with them. But I wish that I also would have gotten kind of that being just a real handy guy, a real, like a guy just that takes a leap of faith. My father can fix anything, you know what I mean? And I feel like I didn't get that and stuff. So um, just that intentionality for those men who have sons and stuff is, yeah. is hugely important. And I, think, and I think intentionality means something different for every man. Um, you might not be a handy fix-it guy, but I think the, what we really are talking about is access to the inner world. So we were, I was sharing last night that my kids, my kids know I have a broken relationship with my parents. They have a very distant relationship with their grandparents. And we were sitting at a dinner table one night and my, my son out of nowhere said, hey dad, why didn't your mom love you? And I just began to, like right there at dinner over lasagna, I just began to cry. And I realized in that moment that my vulnerability was important to them. They could say that, they could see that dad, dad has a heart and he has struggles, and I can relate to that. So I think one of the challenges we have as men is we don't want to show that piece of ourselves to our children, but that's the part that they're most interested in us, is what's going on in the inside. So learning to speak that heart language with our kids about hurts and struggles and vulnerabilities is so important. I, I wish I knew what my dad struggled with growing up. I have no access to that information, but I wish I knew. And your, your kids want to know that too. Somebody else? Right there. Travis, let me know when we're down to a couple minutes. Hi, I'm Justin. Um, so one of the things that I wrote down that I'm gonna be intentional about that I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna sit down with my son and ask, would he, would he want to be like me and why or why not? Um, hmm. I know I've, we're, we're very different kind of people, but I know that I've probably, I know I've certainly failed him a lot, and um, I just, I, want to, I do want to be vulnerable with him and let him know that I do want to be the kind of father that he'd want to grow up to be as well. It's really good. It's a powerful question. Would you want to be like me? Why or why not? It would speak to the strength of your relationship if he was honest. It would be interesting to hear what he says. Good question for us to ask our our, our kids. Also, a question that we're supposed to ask our wives is, what is it like to live with me? And then <laughs> preface it with these statements. If you knew, I wouldn't get upset by your answer. What is it like to live with me? It's a good question to ask your wife. If you're a boss, a really good question every year in staff evaluations is, what's it like to work with me? What's it like to experience me? And be honest, your job's not on the line. That kind of feedback fits so well with what Paul says in the New Testament. Watch your life and your doctrine closely, but don't restrict the evaluation of yourself to yourself. Allow other people to speak in, particularly those who have the most access to you. 
One time for one more? Okay, one more right here. Uh, good morning. My name's Bill, and I just want to share with vulnerability. Uh, I'm not an emotional guy, never have been. Um, and I had a golden opportunity with my son uh, a couple months ago. Uh, we were going down to a football game. It was just him and I. And I was really going to let him know how I felt, and I never came out. Uh, about a couple weeks later, I was talking with Pastor Todd. I told him about it. He gave me some advice, and I followed up on it. And uh, it's really difficult as a parent to admit your uh, shortcomings and your failures. Hmm. And for me, that was very difficult. And I just went into my son's room, and I think he thought I was going to really let him have it. <laughs> uh, but I shared with him uh, some of my feelings, apologized for when I wasn't there. Uh, and a couple weeks later, or a couple weeks ago, uh, him and I went to a hockey game. And as we're driving back home, we drove around for about two and a half, three hours just talking. Uh, really laid out a lot of feelings and emotion. And it was really great uh, to get that out there. So. Uh, I just want to share that with That's you. Really you. That's really good. That's really good. I've noticed that when I want to talk to my kids, I have to say, hey, I really want to talk with you, and you're not in trouble. <laughs> so, like, am I in trouble? Um, and uh, my daughter is leaving for college next year, and I'm, I'm really not comfortable talking about it because I'm struggling with it. Um, she's my only daughter, and when she leaves, the, whole, the house is going to change. But we were, we were talking the other day about which school she would attend. And I was trying to uh, convince her to attend the closest one. Here I am talking about taking big risks for God and stepping out into faith, but it'd be great if you'd stay close to home. And she was upset with me because she felt like I was manipulating her decision. And as we were walking out, I stopped her and I grabbed the arm by the arm and I said, Ava, I'm just really struggling with not seeing you more. I'm, I'm really going to miss you. And in that moment, it was like our argument became this deep point of connection because what I was really going on is I was grieving I was sad about the idea of her not being in her room, that I could go and talk to her. That heart language, it's not easy for me, guys. What some people do naturally, others have to do strategically. So if you are not good at speaking heart language, you'll have to figure out ways to insert that into your life in an intentional way because your family needs access to your inner world, which means uh, you'll need to do that. And I have some tips and tricks about how I've learned to do that I could share in the next session, session if you'd like to hear those. Travis, thank you guys. Great session.